Hello and welcome to Run the Table. I'm your host, Bryce Tinson, and the Cleveland Indians are no longer the Indians. We have the Cleveland Guardians people, the Cleveland Guardians, and I, unlike a lot of other people, actually like this name change. I, I was looking through the announcement on Twitter, looking at some of the comments. A lot of them said that they hated the name and thought it was lazy. Now, I'm not a Cleveland fan, so I can't speak to how they feel. I do know know a couple Cleveland Indians fans. So they, for the most part, that I the ones that I've talked to seem to enjoy it. They like the name. It still connects to the Cleveland because um, they have these statues on a bridge that's just outside of Progressive Field that um, that are car- called the Guardian statues. So it goes hand in hand with with the new name, and they didn't have to. I, they didn't have to change much. And I think that's why people are calling it lazy because when they said they were going to rebrand, I think people wanted them to completely change everything about the team. Change the name, change the color scheme, obviously got to change the logo. But I actually, I, I really like the Indians color scheme. I think the red and and blue, navy blue-ish, really, really work well together. And I think that, that the Indians have something that works. Or now the Guardians... Uh, have something that works, and I think that they were right to not change that. I think they were right to keep it, and so I'm 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 actually pretty pleased with with what they did here. And I I was one of those people that did not like spiders. I thought that that the spi- anything like if you're gonna call a team the spiders is especially now it's just stupid. I personally I don't like it. I I do like the Guardians though. I think it one connects to Cleveland. Two. It's a really unique, cool name, and you you don't get that much anymore. It's going to go into effect after this season, so they're going to be the Indians the rest of the year, and next year they're going to change. Now, I do hope that they kind of change their logo a little bit because the one that they revealed was cool, but I think they could have done more with it. I think they could have done something with it, like an actual Guardian not just a, a baseball with a G on it and some wings, but uh, it's a step. It's a step and it's a start. It was going to happen because of, of the culture we live in today, and I think they handled it pretty well. They handled it better than the other team, the Washington, formerly known as the Redskins, now known as the football team, who still don't have a name and will be the football team this next year. So they, they, they're going on two years of not <laughs> of not having a name, whereas the, the, the Indians did this a lot more seamlessly than than the Redskins did. I mean, in all honesty, the Redskins should have just kept the name the Redskins until they actually had a name to change it with instead of just having this placeholder because it seems they're kind of content with the placeholder. But we'll see because my thought process behind this is that they're actually going through a deeper change than the Indians did so like the Indians they didn't change their scheme they didn't really change their logos they just kind of changed the font because they still have the C uh, as one of their logos and uh, Cleveland the spelled out uh, Cleveland logo so really the only thing that's changing is is the font and their uh, what was the Chief Wahoo logo now going to be the Guardians logo I do think that the football team is completely changing the color scheme they're changing their image they're they're I, even though I do like the I do like their um, color scheme and their colorway, the, I feel like w- with whatever name they go with, it, they kind of have to change it. I don't really think there's many names that kind of fit with the 
the gold and, and kind of weird red that they have. So we'll see what happens with that. But I do think that they should feel some fire under their butts to kind of get this thing done because the Indians announced it after um, the Redskins did and they already have their new name and it didn't take them that long. And personally, I like it. I like the decision. I said it. I said it again. I don't understand people that call it lazy. It's like, well, what did you, what would you have done? Right? So you're going to call it lazy. You're going to say you hate it, but what, what was your idea? Right? So I, it's just people on Twitter and, and some more sad and, and just heartbreaking news, uh, Jets assistant coach Greg Knapp died yesterday, Thursday, after being hit by a car while riding his bike. I mean, he 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 was able to be taken to the hospital. So I think he got hit over the weekend or earlier this week, and he was taken to the hospital, but he was in a coma for a couple days and never woke up. I mean, it's just really unfortunate stuff. The, the The driver is in custody and is cooperating. Well, they weren't under any influence of, of drugs or alcohol, so it it seems I don't I don't want to speak too much on it, but it seems like it's one of those freak accidents that just had a really unfortunate ending. And I I mean, obviously, I don't know Greg Knapp personally. Um, he was going to be the Jets special or not spe- passing game specialist coordinator person. This uh, this upcoming season, he was 58 years old. He uh, spent some time as other quarterback coaches, passing coordinators. Um, he, he, according to players that he's coached and, and other coaches that he's coached with, he was a stand-up guy, had amazing energy, and everywhere he went, he, he formed connections and made the locker room, the team better. So it, it it's one of those gone-too-soon situations. I mean, he's a great guy according to the people that were closest to him and you just hate to see something like this happen I mean I don't really know what else to say about that that kind of a kind of a dull moment here but I mean it's it's sad and it needed to be talked about but moving on to other NFL news so the NFL had a pretty big statement I guess you would call it yesterday which uh, quite a few players did not like um they said that games will not be postponed due to covid outbreaks and any team with an outbreak among players will be forced to forfeit so if a game can't be scheduled whoever's team no i mean they're not rescheduling so if there's if there's a covid outbreak whatever team is responsible for it will have to forfeit and so it's another move by the nfl that's basically saying get vaccinated to the players the NFLPA had to agree with this because the NFL can't just make a decision. That's why there's the NFLPA. It's a players association. And it seems like the NFLPA didn't fully listen to the people it represents because there were quite a few players who are unhappy with it, to say the least. Matthew Judon, DeAndre Hopkins, and Leonard Fournette are a couple that come to mind. It's, I mean... Even even players that agree with getting vaccinated don't agree with how the NFL went, went about this, um, namely Jalen Ramsey and Ezekiel Elliott. And, I mean, you got this situation, right, where some people have had negative experiences with the vaccine and some other people have had negative experiences with COVID prompting them to get the vaccine. And so they have 
different outlooks because of their personal experience. But, I mean, what the NFL is doing, yes, they should. I agree with them. I agree with them in the fact that they should not reschedule games due to COVID outbreaks. In my personal opinion, they should just let them play without the players that were positive. Like, those players have to sit out the week, let everybody else play. Now, if it gets to the point where you can't even field a team or it's not safe to field a team, meaning that you'd be able, I mean, you'd have like less than 25 guys, then that at that point, it's not safe to field a team. I mean, you can't just have, I mean, 25 players on a team because guys won't get breaks, they'll just get hurt. It's just not a good situation. Then you forfeit. But I think that if it's like three or four players, there's a threshold in there somewhere that I, I haven't really fleshed out, but there's there's a figure, there's there's a, a certain point that it would tip the scales. And I don't think that a handful of players, like what's considered an outbreak among a team? Is it five players and coaching staff personnel? Is it 10 players? Because I still think that even at that point, it's fine. Like, like as long as, as long as they can field the team and, and do it safely in, in the matter of injury. I mean, at this point, if you're, if you're really worried about being vaccinated, you're vaccinated, right? Especially these NFL players. They, they were able to get in line first. And so if they're not vaccinated yet, then I don't think, they, I don't think they're going to be. I don't think much is going to change that. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins said that he would have to reevaluate his career in the NFL if this were to to stand. And, I mean, he has all the right to say that. I, I don't think the NFL should be forcing players. I mean, this is essentially forcing players. They don't have much of a choice here if they want to play. So I, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with, with the forfeit. I agree that they shouldn't reschedule. I just say play the game. Like, obviously, there's going to be consequences for not getting the vaccine. You know the consequences now. So it's your decision to, to, to get it or not. And I, I personally think that it's not the NFL's, it's not, it, like, I keep saying it, but it's not the NFL's place to be telling these guys to do it. I mean, this is essentially, people are going to say it's not forcing them to, but it is forcing them to. And and it's just going to, I mean, the, the the way that they should go about this is not the way that they are currently. It, in my opinion, it should be the way I said. You you play all the games. You don't reschedule. Whatever team you can field is what you field. It's the same way with an injury, and that's how COVID should be treated. That's that's how a positive test should be treated. Is the same way as an injury. You, you show up on the injury report if you're testing positive. If you've tested positive, and you just don't play that week, but you still you still play the game. I don't get why you wouldn't play the game, but. That apparently is um, is not logical in in the eyes of the NFL. On on the other hand, sixteen teams do have a vax rate above eighty five percent, so it shouldn't be an issue for most teams. But my question is because you can still test positive for COVID after having the test. That that is basically common knowledge. You can still get it. It's just not as severe. So at that rate, I think I do think the NFL said that if it was among unvaccinated players. That, that it would be an issue. If it was in, amongst vaccinated players, then then it would be okay, and then they would play the game. I didn't really look too deep into that, but all I know is that is that 
there will be forfeits if you have a COVID outbreak. Um, next up on the oh. I, I do want to mention that we're only two weeks away from NFL preseason. So it's right around the corner. And, I mean, it, there's a two-week time period between shots. So if a player wants to get it, the NFL should have made this decision a little sooner because you're only giving them two weeks to um, to make that decision. I mean, you're not giving them like any time to make that decision. But that's beyond the point. Moving on to the NCAA, we got some big news, some really big news. And... I, I said it on the last spot. Yes, I didn't think this was going to happen. But I guess it is. OU and Texas, it, it seems very likely that they're going to merge with the SEC. And it just, it, the SEC poaches another, two other Big Big 12, or yeah, two more Big 12 uh, teams. They got Missouri, they got Texas A&M. Now they're getting Texas and Oklahoma. I... It's been in talks for six months, apparently. They've been talking about this, the SEC in Texas and Oklahoma leadership. But I guess Texas A&M was left completely in the dark about this. Like, they didn't... Because obviously Texas A&M would have opposed it because they hate Texas. I just find it hilarious that they did that. They just didn't tell Texas A&M. And now it's going to happen anyway, and Texas A&M really doesn't have a say in it. I still think it's bad. I think it's bad for Texas... I think Oklahoma can manage it, but I think it's bad for the sport. And I know that that's like a cliche, like, oh, type thing, you know. But I do think it's bad for college football if Oklahoma plays in the SEC. I think that the SEC is actually, like, it, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to, like, I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. I'm trying to... I don't know, figure out what the what the end goal is besides I obviously more money because the SEC brings in more. It's football country. But I don't really understand like competitively, like why would you do this? I feel like Texas in the Big Twelve is I mean, Texas like founded the Big Twelve, didn't they? Wasn't Texas one of the one of the big proponents in forming the Big Twelve and, and getting these teams? I don't know. I don't I don't agree with it personally. I think it's as I said on on my on my last podcast, I I think it's a stupid move. I uh, and I actually it's a terrible move for Oklahoma cuz they're not going to make the college playoff after this unless it goes to 12, then they might. But they're not going to make the college football playoff if it's if it's still four teams cuz there's no way they're going to win this. There's no way they're going to win the SEC. Alabama is going to dominate them as they have. So, who knows? I mean, who who freaking knows? Who cares anymore? I don't know. But the, the, the bigger question is what happens to the Big 12? Because I think they're down to 10 now? Or 8? I'm not exactly sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up. But I think, I think it's, I think it's 10 now. Um, but, I mean, what happens to those guys, right? What happens to the Kansas is the Texas Techs, the Oklahoma States, the Kansas States, the Iowa States. You know, what happens to those teams? I don't really know. I do think that some of them would be able to find a home elsewhere. It's just if you're if you're Oklahoma State, where do you go? Like you're in the center of the US and there's really no 
there's really no spot for you. Like it, the Big Twelve would not be able to survive. I think I think everybody knows that. I think the big the, the Big Twelve wouldn't be able to survive. Yes, there's ten members, so the, the um there's no way there's absolutely no way the Big Twelve survives this. If Texas, I mean, because they're the, the the two biggest markets, so Kansas, who shouldn't be in a Power Five conference in the first place, is out. They probably get relegated to an uh, a group of five conference. That would be my guess. They go. I I don't even know if a team would take them. That is that is that is the real question. Would a team take them? I don't know. I don't know what com. I don't know what conference would take them. In terms of proximity, the Big Ten is the closest, but they're not going to want them. Maybe they join the Mountain West. I think Kansas and the Mountain West would be a pretty good. I don't know, fit. I do think that the biggest beneficiary of this is the Pac-12 because everybody thought it was going to be them that was gone. <laughs> and it turns out the Big 12 is on is on thin ice. But I think that I think that they can take a couple teams. I don't really know who you take. Like most most of the teams are based in Texas. I mean, you got TCU, you got Texas Tech, you got Baylor, Maybe I'm overestimating how many teams are actually in Texas from the Big 12. Because then you got Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, West Virginia, Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech. Isn't that that eight? I think that's it. I think that would be it. So there's no way it survives. West Virginia moves to the ACC or the American would be my guess. That just seems like, like the logical solution for them. Um. Yeah, I don't think the Big Ten would take them. They're just not. They don't have a track record of being very good, and academically, they're not not good at all. I mean, they're one of the worst. But um, Kansas, I think, would have to go to the Mountain West. I think that's. I think that's probably the move. Um, Iowa State maybe joins the Big Ten. I think that's probably a solution. Oklahoma State is in a weird spot. Kansas State probably Kansas State's been a decent football program with Bill Schneider there. Um I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's a Kansas State's an interesting one. I'm kind of in the middle. I think that yeah, they're going to be down to 8 teams. I think that Iowa State joins the Big Big Ten. I think Baylor. I'm not. I'm not going to worry about the Texas teams right now. I think Kansas probably joins the Mountain West. I think Kansas State maybe Pac-12, or is that too far out of the way for the Pac-12? Maybe the Big Ten takes Kansas State. No, wait, I don't think they would do that. Maybe I don't. I don't know. Maybe maybe the American takes Kansas State. I just feel like Kansas State is better than a group of five team. Like they would dominate a group of five conference. But they're kind of in the middle. It's the same issue with Oklahoma State. Like maybe they create their own conference. They bring teams like uh like Cincinnati. I don't know. I don't know who else is kind of in that area that you could you could poach. 
it, it would be interesting to talk, uh, to to figure out what happens to each team. But I think the teams that hurt the most are Texas Tech, TCU, and Baylor because they really don't have anywhere else to go. They're in Texas, and I mean, other than the the what the Sun Belt? No, it's not the Sun Belt. What team or what conference is is majority Texas? The one that Houston's in is that the American? I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to figure it out, but. I think that oh my god, it's it's going to be an interesting ripple effect. It's going to make the landscape, I mean, just crazy. The opening ceremony for the Olympics happened. There were zero fans, which is really weird. Like, actually, I mean, I've I've never seen an Olympics with like, especially the opening ceremony with with such little interaction. But yeah, there nobody. And it's going to continue to be that way. It's going to be really, really odd. The Lakers, moving to the NBA, the Lakers are mulling over a trade offer for Russell Westbrook. And you may be asking, well, who is it? Who they have to give up? It's actually not that bad of a trade. They have to give up Kyle Kuzma, Dennis Schroeder, and Taylor Horton Tucker. The issue with it is I think Russell Westbrook is a terrible fit. For the Lakers, they don't need someone like Russell Westbrook. They need a shooter. They need someone that can shoot the lights out. LeBron can handle the ball. They don't need they don't need Russell Westbrook to to handle the ball. They don't need him to to be incredibly inefficient at at shooting. Which Russell Westbrook is one of the most inefficient players in the NBA. That is the worst possible landing spot for him is LA because he can't afford to be inefficient. I think that. And there are other options for the Lakers, and that this would be a stupid deal on their part. Although Russell Westbrook for these three players is not not a bad trade at all. The Cavs are also getting multiple offers for the the number three pick, which is likely going to be Jonathan Kuminga, G League guy, played really well in his in his G League bubble or in the G League bubble. Uh, apparently, the two teams are the Raptors and the Magic. I didn't see the trade packages that they were offering, because I don't know if they've been leaked. But it's it's interesting to see these teams try and trade up. I don't know how I feel about it. Because, I mean, the Raptors, I don't think I don't think them moving up is really going to solve all their issues. Their issue is, is they don't have a number one. Pascal Siakam, while he was great when Kawhi was there, is a number two. He's just not a number one. And... I don't really, I don't really know. I don't really know what happened to Fred Van Fleet, and Kyle Lowry's getting older, so they're probably they're in a weird spot. They're in a really weird spot. Moving back to college football because I completely forgot about this, um, and because I'm a Michigan fan, I have to talk about it. Jim Harbaugh says he's more fired up about this year than he has been in his Michigan tenure, and uh, he said that they're gonna. The goal is to beat everyone, which I'm happy about, or die trying. <laughs> And that was a little interesting, but it, I can't, I've had hope these past six years that he's been here. I can't continue to believe in him. I just can't. I am as much, as much as he is a great recruiter, what he puts out on the field is just not good enough to grab my attention. I'll, I mean, I'll watch the games. I won't really be all that hopeful until he proves that he can start winning games which he hasn't done. I mean, we lost to Michigan State when we were a 23-point favorite last year, or 25-point favorite last year. Lost in uh, 
a pretty convincing fashion. Like they, they Michigan State was the better team that, in that game last year. It, we should. There's no way that Michigan should have won that. I mean, with the way they played, they should have. They they're more talented. It was it was I think the third. No, it was the second game in in uh, Mel Tucker's career. Yeah, so real embarrassing stuff. But I'm going to give you my NFL award predictions. The se- as I said, the season's two weeks away, so I think it's time. I think it's time to give you my award predictions. So stick around. Okay, NFL award predictions. We are two weeks out from the preseason, meaning that, I mean, it is go time. It is go time. Football season is around the corner. We can finally be happy again because we have our beloved game back. So I wanted to go through and talk about all the awards. Make my predictions because I want I want people to know how right I was about this upcoming season. Nah, I'm just I'm just kidding. I just want to have a, a benchmark to see kind of what I thought going into the season and, and where it ended up. So I'm gonna start. Where do I want to start? I got all the categories, I got all my I got I got top four for each, and then there's two that I have more than four. And I think I'm gonna start in the one that has six. So I put six people because I literally could not decide. This is kind of my order though. But I couldn't make a cut. I I tried, and I was like, "There's no way for this to like even be possible." So we're gonna start the comeback player of the year section. I mean, number one is I mean, uh, do I want to start number one or do I want to start start number six? I'll start number six. Number six, I have Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa went down with a torn ACL last year, early in the season, and the 49ers defense really wasn't the same without him. I think this year that they. I mean, they'll have him back, and he'll be hopefully fully healthy because he was absolutely dominant when he uh, when he was healthy his rookie year. I mean, he was. There, there were talks about him putting like putting him in the in in the defensive player of the year discussion as a rookie. Like that's how that's how good he was. We didn't get to see him last year because he was hurt for most of it. But hopefully this year we get a full year of Nick Bosa, and, and for 49ers fans, hopefully they get a full year. Number five, I have Joe Burrow question mark. He played 10 games. He was a rookie. Like, is is that is that enough to be the comeback player of the year? Because we don't know really how good Joe Burrow could be. Like, we saw glimpses of it, but like we don't really know. So I don't really I don't know how you determine like for, for some of these other guys, like we've seen them play a full season. We know what their height is. We know what they can get back to. I, I still don't know what Joe Burrow's ceiling is. So this that's why I put the question mark there. Because I'm not really sure how I feel about it. But I, I do think that he's eligible for it. I mean, he got hurt his rookie year, but I need to see, I don't know. I don't know. It was it was just a weird, when I was thinking about it, it was a weird, weird thing. I don't, know, I don't know how to say it. Number four, I have Derwin James. He's, I mean, listen, I'm a huge Derwin James fan. I Like, I thought he was the absolute steal of the draft when the Chargers took him a couple years ago. I think he fell out of 17. I was like, there's no way that Derwin James, or it was either 17 or 19, that he keeps falling. I was like, this is ridiculous. He is, uh, bar none, one of the best players in the draft, and he just keeps he just kept falling. I was like, what is going on? Finally, the Chargers take him. He was outstanding. In the years that he's been healthy, I mean, there, have, there haven't been a ton of that, but like, I legitimately feel like that Derwin James plays a full season. He has an opportunity to be the comeback player of the year. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. The way he plays the game, he's physical. He flies around. He makes plays. He's going to be so so important for that Chargers defense this year. I think that he is a legitimate option for 
comeback player of the year. Number three, I have Christian McCaffrey. He's going to be the focal point of that offense. I really, I don't know how else to say it. Like Matt Rule and Joe Brady are going to get Christian McCaffrey the ball, and he's going to make plays. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's a, it's it's quite literally as simple as that. At number two, I have Saquon Barkley for the same reasons I have Christian McCaffrey, but I think Saquon Barkley is better, and I think he's going to be even more of a focal point because Daniel Jones sucks. Even though they have receiving weapons, he sucks. He's not a good quarterback. I don't know why they took him as early as they did, but he's not good. And so what's what's the best way to keep the ball out of your quarterback's hands? Run the ball. Their offensive line isn't great. It's average, I'd say. Average to below average is, is the Giants' offensive line. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully Andrew Thomas can take that next step. Hopefully Will Hernandez can take, take that next step. They've got pieces. They've got young guys that they just need to to realize their poten- their potential. And then, I mean, you saw what Saquon did with a crappy offensive line. You saw it. Imagine, like, if he had a legitimate offensive line. I'm just saying. And then number one, without a doubt, bar nine, Dak Prescott. I mean, he... Listen. He doesn't... I mean, his his injury last year was about as gruesome as they come. It wasn't quite on Alex Smith's level, but it was it was disgusting to watch. It, it was one of those, the minute it happened, you knew it was not good. I mean, you're not really sure how he's going to come back because I, I believe it was a compound fracture, and that is a, a, one of the worst injuries you can have. But I have full faith in Dak Prescott and his offense. I mean, the, the weapons he has on offense are insane. I mean, it's just one of the best receiving cores in the league. If Ezekiel Elliott can get back to what he was in 2016, then... I mean, you have you have him as a weapon. The offensive line isn't as good as it once was, so hopefully you can keep him protected. But I do think that Dak is 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 the obvious choice for comeback player of the year at this point. Moving on to coach of the year. Now, I if you if you know me, this is this is the other one with five. If you know me, number one shouldn't be that much of a surprise. But we're going to start at number five. Number five, I have Riverboat Ron Ron Rivera, Washington Football Team. I. I, listen, I love the Washington football team. I really do. I love the, the style of football they play. I think that getting Ryan Fitzpatrick was huge. I think that getting Curtis Samuel was huge. I think that keeping Terry McLaurin at, or having a healthy Terry McLaurin is going to be massive for them. I think that Antonio Gibson is going to have another great year. I just And their defense is just one of the best in the league. And it, I mean, the, the talent they have along their front seven is unbelievable. So I think that I think that the the football team has a legitimate shot to be, I mean, a top three seed, in in the NFC. And I know people are going to call me crazy, but I do think that's a that's a possibility for them. So obviously, with that, Ron Rivera, especially with the expectations of the football team coming into the season. Number four, I have Sean McDermott, Buffalo Bills head coach, and I listen. I think that the Bills have a really high ceiling, and if they can reach their number one seed potential. I'm not saying I think they will. I'm saying there's a possibility, and I think that I think that they're, they're one of the teams that could be... Out of the AFC, there's like three or four teams that I think could get the one seed, and they're definitely one of them. They're definitely one of them. So with that, I mean, Sean McDermott, right? I mean, if you get the one seed... I mean, the only issue is that not a lot of people are, are, are going to count them out. So... Who knows? Number three, I have Frank Reich, and it's because Carson he's going to make Carson Wentz a good quarterback again. 
And I, f- I fully believe that. I know a lot of people don't. And a lot of people think that Carson Wentz is a big old heaping pile of, of trash. But I actually think that Carson Wentz, with Frank Reich, is going to resurrect his career. And the Colts are going to be a actual, like a legitimate threat to the number one seed and the AFC. And it's not a, it's not a joke. I'm, I'm being dead serious when I say that. So, just, I mean, Frank Reich, watch out for the Colts. Frank Reich is going to be the reason why. Sean McVay is number two. And I, I mean, I, I don't, because the, the Rams weren't bad last year. They went 10 and 6. People are expecting them to be good again this year. So I don't really know the, I, how good they have to be in order for Sean McVay to win. But I, I would imagine it's probably one seed with a 14-3 and three record or a 13-4 and four record somewhere around there. But I think they can get there. I, I They're one of the most talented teams in the league. They did lose John Johnson. They did lose Cam Akers um, this past week. But I still think that they're, with Sean McVay at the helm, I mean, their defense is still going to be good, even though they don't have John Johnson. Their offense is going to be even better now that they have Matthew Stafford at quarterback. So I just I I think that that he has an actual shot of being coach of the year. And then number one shouldn't be a surprise: Brandon Staley, head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. That team is going to exceed everybody's expectations except mine, because I know how good they're going to be. I'm extremely high on them. I'm, I'm probably higher than everybody outside of the Chargers organization. Like, if you ask a bunch of analysts where they thought the Chargers would fall, they'd probably say, I don't know, fringe wildcard team. I'm I'm picking them to be at, at top. I mean, they're going to be a wildcard team because I don't think they leap the Chiefs, but they're going to be, if you look at just record alone, they're going to be a top four team in the AFC. So, and they're going to exceed expectations. They're going to play out of their mind. They're going to, I would say they probably lose one game in conference. They split with the Chiefs or not in conference, in division, and they pull a lot of of, of, of tricks out of their bag and really are going to surprise some people. Moving on to Offensive Rookie of the Year, I do think that Jamar Chase is the favorite. In my opinion, I think he, him and Joe's connection is, I've talked about this before, it's something that you just, you don't find. You don't find, like you can't just pick it up off the street. You can't teach it. Like, this is a special connection, and he's the number one of the team. He is, I, coming in, he's, I, wide receiver is a really deep position right now in, in the NFL, but he is a top 25 receiver, at least, in the league with what he's able to do. I mean, you saw him in college. You saw, it, the last time he played football was with Joe Burrow, and you saw what happened. They tore up defenses. They they went on to have the, the best offense of, performance throughout the season ever like they passed they shattered records and it's that's gonna that's barring Zach Taylor that's going to happen again and I think that number two I don't know why I went from one one to four this time when I was doing the opposite but we're gonna, we're gonna keep going with it number two I have Trevor Lawrence and I I Trevor Lawrence is a shoe-in to be a top three finisher in offensive rookie of the year if he doesn't if he doesn't get hurt. Knock on wood, he doesn't get hurt. He's going I mean, the offense they have is going to be I said it with the Chargers, he's going to be a lot better than expected. LaVisca Chanel is really going to come into his own this year. They still have DJ Chark. They got Marvin Jones. 
They now have James Robinson and Travis Etienne. They have Tyler Eifert, who who maybe can have some sort of a a little resurgence of his career uh, after he left Cincinnati. Their offensive line is going to be okay. So, I'm just saying. I mean, everybody's going to pick him though. Like that's the, he's got to be the favorite. Number number three, I have Kyle Pitts, and he's going to be the number two receiving option, if not the number one in Atlanta with Julio gone. I mean, number one would be Calvin Ridley. I think that Kyle Pitts is is pro- listen. I think that Kyle Pitts is probably going to be the number one uh, target on that team, and for good reason. I mean, he catches everything. It, his catch radius is crazy. He has strong hands. He can get open. It's a great pick at number four. Great pick. And then at number at number four, I have Najee Harris. And it's it's really because the Steelers aren't going to throw the ball. I, I I get what like what's coming out of Steelers camp is that they are going to be able to throw the or they're going to change their offensive perception. They're going to do a lot of different things. And as much as I want to believe that, I think Big Ben is actually, he's he's done. Like, he's he's noodle-arm Big Ben. I don't think that he, as much as he wants to to think that his career isn't over, I think his career is over, and it's just, it's a wasted year for the Steelers. I do. I, I completely think that. But the, the way that they're going to have to move the ball is through Najee Harris, and the offensive line isn't good. So is Najee Harris actually Got a shot? Maybe. I mean, maybe he does. I I probably put maybe Devontae Smith instead of Najee. If if I if I had some more time to think about it, because I kind of just threw that, especially that one lit that list, but t- together. But listen, as much as Najee Harris is a beast in his own right, I just don't think the Steelers' offense is going to be that good. I don't. Their offensive line really isn't. They're not going to be able to throw the ball. Teams are going to stack the box. We'll see what happens, but I, I do think that he's, he is going to have some explosive performances early on, and then teams are going to start to realize what the Steelers are doing offensively. Uh, moving on to defensive rookie of the year, we're gonna we're gonna go back to the going from the bottom to the top. At number four, I have JOK, and it's because of how good that defensive line is for the Browns. I I think that it'll allow him to kind of have a, a little more free range. He's a great, I mean, he's great in pass, in pass coverage. He'll get picks, which is, is a great stat to um, claim for, for one of these awards. I don't think he'll have as many tackles as a linebacker. You would like a linebacker to have to, to get these awards, but his tackles for losses is going to be higher than, Average, I guess you would say. He's going to have more tackles for losses than he should for how many tackles he has. He's just so explosive, and he reads the defense so well that I think he'll get into the backfield a lot. I just don't think he's going to be in position a ton to make these tackles with with who else is on the field. That's the only issue. At number three, I have Jalen Phillips. With I mean, being with Brian Flores is a, is a godsend for Jalen Phillips because he was the most talented edge rusher in this draft, bar none. Like, he, he, he far and away... Far and away, he was the best. He just had some health issues. But being with Brian Flores, who's a defensive mastermind, is going to be huge. The The Miami Dolphins needed a number one edge rusher. They got him, and I think he's going to have a really good season. And number two, I have a shocker, Asante Samuel Jr. So the reasoning behind this is because Brandon Staley 
plays more of a zone than man defense, which is perfect because Asante, Asante Samuel Jr. is the exact same player as his dad. Like, it's scary. He primarily plays zone. Like, you won't catch him playing man very much, and he's a ball hawk. I wouldn't be surprised if Asante Samuel had like seven picks this year. Which means that he's going to be right up there in terms of of defensive rookie of the year. At number one, I, I, I could not put him here because he's going to be a tackling machine. I have Jamin Davis. And I said it when I was breaking down uh, the breakout players. Jamin Davis is going to have so many clean lanes to running backs to make tackles. And he's no slouch in pass coverage. He'll have a couple picks. But the amount of tackles he's going to have is going to be through the roof for a rookie. It's going to be like Darius Leonard type type numbers. Because, I mean, look at the defensive line. I mean, just look at who's on the defensive line. And, and you're going to have to put two guys... You're going to have to block two guys on at least one of them, if not two of them, which means that Jamin Davis is going to be able to stay clean, get over top of blocks, find the lanes and meet running backs and holes. That's what's going to happen, and that's why Jamin Davis is going to win rookie, or defensive rookie of the year. And I, I, I am not joking about that. I actually think that he should be the favorite. Um, we'll go to defensive player of the year. So, in all, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest with you. All of them are edge rushers besides the guy who's going to win it. You know who that is. We're going to start at number four, Chase Young. I think that Chase Young was phenomenal his rookie year. The amount of pressures he got on quarterbacks. He might, not, he might not have had the sack numbers, but that's not really what you look at when you have... like That's the thing we have to start changing about how we look at defensive ends and, and um, pass rushers in general is don't look at sacks. Look at QB pressures, hurries, and knockdowns or hits, whatever you want to call them. Sacks are nice, yes, but you've got to look at if they're pressuring quarterbacks and if they're actually getting there. Because if they get there, they get knockdowns or hits. They're doing their job. I don't care about pass rush win rate. I care about how many pressures you get, how many hits you get on the quarterback. That is what I care about. And Chase Young did that. And he will continue to do that. He was just, he was dominant. And the way he's able to strip the ball out of the quarterback's hands when he rushes, I mean, it's phenomenal. And he's a really good run defender, too. So he's number four. Number three is Nick Bosa. And, I mean, he's one of the only guys that's going to be able to win a comeback player and uh, another award. When he played, he was so freaking good. I mean, there's no way he can't be in discussion. Like, he's going to be good again. Uh, he, he did everything right. He did everything right and was one of the best edge rushers, defenders in the league. So, without a doubt, he's going to be up there. TJ Watt is my number two. And I think you saw how he played before he got hurt. You saw how good he was. He was the the backbone of that defense. The backbone. And so I think that, that he was, I mean, people thought that he was number one. That he should, that he should have even been the, uh, the defensive player of the year. I don't agree, but... I can see why they would say that, but number one is without a doubt Aaron Donald. He is unquestionably the best defensive player in the league. Unquestionably, they have to. You have to put three guys on him. He's the most dominant football player I have ever seen. And I don't like. I'm. I don't take. I don't take that lightly either. Like best defense or best football player, most not best, most dominant football player I have ever seen. 
At number five, it would have been Miles Garrett if I did a number five. I just don't think as much, as good as Miles Garrett is. I think that the, the the Browns defense doesn't really have anybody else that's going to be able to kind of take the pressure off of him. I don't think Jadavion Clowney's that good. I really don't. I think he's overrated. I don't. I don't think he's worth ten million dollars. But hopefully that kind of gets some of the pressure off of Miles Garrett. I wouldn't bet on it though. Moving on to offensive player of the year. Number four, I have Saquon Barkley. And for all the reasons I stated, I think he might he's gonna be one of the top rushers in the league. Probably the top rusher in the league. Second top. Second. Yeah. I'm gonna say second. Um, and he's gonna be a threat in the in the past game. He'll probably get five hundred and fifty receiving yards as well. At number three, I have Stephon Diggs. I mean, he was the best wide re- second best wide receiver in the league last year, in my opinion. Um, even though he had the stats, he had 127 receptions and had 15,000 receiving or 1,500 receiving yards, not thousand, Jesus, and like eight touchdowns. The reason he's three is because he didn't have the touchdown numbers, and I do think that Josh Allen will take kind of a step back. But I think that Stephon Diggs is just too good not to be on this list. And I didn't put any quarterbacks on the Offensive Player of the Year list because if we're going to do this, like the MVP is literally all quarterbacks. So why are we like why can't the Offensive Player of the Year be everybody but quarterbacks? I think it's stupid that quarterbacks can win both of them personally. But it's beside the point. Number two is Devontae Adams, and this is a caveat. If Aaron Rodgers is playing, he is number two. But Devontae Adams is, in my opinion, the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. The way he runs routes and is able to lose defenders with ease and then catch the ball and then wreck. He had 18 touchdowns. He might not have had the yardage numbers or the catch numbers of Stephon Diggs, but 18 touchdowns is something that is, I mean, he led the league in, in, in reception touchdowns. That's how good he was. He gets open, and having Aaron Rodgers at quarterback is... A, a, a godsend. Number one is easily Derrick Henry. I think the Titans are going to have to stick to running the ball. It's going to take them a little bit to figure out their passing game without Arthur Smith there, and I'm going to keep saying that. So I think they're going to rely on Derrick Henry and the run game to kind of uh, get them through those first couple of weeks. And I think that his his yardage total will be similar to last year. I really do. He'll, he'll be close to 2,000 yards. So I think he's obviously the favorite. And for MVP, at number four, I have Matthew Stafford. And I keep saying it. He is going to play like an MVP candidate. I know people don't believe it, but he will. So you just watch and see. Under Sean McVay's system, with the weapons that he's going to have, he he will play like an MVP. Number three, I have Aaron Rodgers. Once again, he's got to play in order to to, to be on this list. But I do think that Aaron Rodgers is going to have another good year, and, and that shouldn't really be questioned. Number two, I have Russell Wilson. And it's because they got rid of Brian Schottenheimer, because they got rid of him, and they brought in, oh, who was the guy they brought in? I can't remember his name right now. But I do know that he is more of a downfield passer oriented, which is what the what the Seahawks really did well last year. And when Russell was the leading MVP candidate, that's what they were doing. They were pushing the ball down the field. DK was going off. They now have Tyler Lockett um, locked up. So they get to keep him, and they have Dwayne Eskridge, who's going to be one of the best rookie receivers in the league. I mean, what more, what more is there to say? They're, they're going to f- finally let Russ cook, and if they don't, they'll be sorry. But number one, easy, Patrick Mahomes. 
I don't really know what else to say other than their offensive line actually got better. And he has all the same weapons, so he doesn't have Sammy Watkins, but he didn't I mean I mean he's got he's got all the same weapons. It and his offensive line is better. I don't what more is there really to say. But thank you guys for listening. I hope you liked my my breakdown. Maybe play some bets. I don't know. You could get some pretty good money on some of these guys I said. I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's worth your while, but thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed. And I'll see you next time. Catch you on the flip. See ya.